And if you snuck in late or if you missed it, uh, I'd love to welcome you again to Beyond. I think because the microphone wasn't working the first time, I got distracted uh, and I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Chris. Uh, I'm one of the leadership team here at Beyond and we are so excited to have you join us tonight. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time tonight, we like to give uh, messages that are about three hours long, uh, but no one would hang around for three hours, so what we do is we cut them down into 30-minute segments and then we market them as a series. And so the series that you're joining us tonight for, uh, we're in part three of it, it's called The Stand. Uh, every year we like to take some time to reflect and talk about why we do what we do here at Beyond. So if you are not a follower of Jesus, uh, this is a great series for you to come along with because you can just sit back, put your feet up and relax. We are not going to require anything of you. We are not going to ask anything of you. In fact, if you've always wanted like a backstage pass into church, this series is it. If you've always wanted to know like, why do churches do what they do? Like, oh, why do churches stand for what they stand for? What does Beyond stand for? What does it stand for? This is a great opportunity for you to just kind of sit back, relax and, uh, and take that all in. And if you are a follower of Jesus then this is an opportunity for us, uh, particularly here at Beyond, to, to revisit why we do things. In fact, in part one, we said that the reason we do everything that we do, the starting point for Beyond is because we want to create a church that unchurched people love to attend. And then last week, we said that one of the ways we do that is that we will do anything short of sin to reach people. In order to reach people no one's reaching, we'll have to do things no one's doing. Next week, uh, I, would, I would encourage you to get along, if not for the message, uh, uh, then come along because we are having hot dogs and donuts after the service. Uh, in fact, you should, you should get your friends to invite your friends, even if you just want to eat all the hot dogs there are, all the donuts there are, because next week we're talking about uh, one of our values, that life is better connected. And we thought, yeah, it's great to tell you that life is better connected, but we thought we would show uh, our community what it means to be connected here at Beyond. And ladies, just a special announcement for you. Uh, if you're a young adult female, Riley Brown is giving the message that week. If you do not know who Riley Brown is, he is one of the most eligible bachelors uh, in the Moreton Bay region. Uh, you should come along. You should invite all your friends along as well. Uh, and then in part five, we're going to wrap the series up. I'm, I'm going to uh, attempt to teach you, and perhaps everyone will walk out after part five, but I'm going to attempt to teach us something that we think we already are really good at. Uh, in 30 minutes, I'm going to attempt to teach everyone to be generous. And I know some of you are already like, oh, I'm already generous. I don't need to come to that one. Trust me, you need to come, even if it's just to like, write an abusive email afterwards. Um, you need to come along to that one. But tonight... We are kind of diving in uh, to part three of this series, and I want to give you an application for last week. So this series, uh, tonight is going to be really heavy application based, and I wanted to wade in to our discussion tonight by looking at American Idol. Now, American Idol, uh, it's, I think it's finished now, they, they've stopped making seasons of it, but you know, there's all these different kinds of uh, shows, whether it's American Idol, whether it's, an Austra whether it's Australian Idol whether it's X Factor, whether it's Australia's Got Talent, Britain's Got Talent, America's Got Talent, you know, whatever one of these talent shows may be. But I don't know whether it's the American personality, shall we say, but for whatever reason, I get really sucked into some of the stories. And I think it's their confidence. Americans just seem to be really, really confident. Uh, and, and particularly what, what I mean by that is like, you, you see that person, and I know nothing about music, like I can't play music to save my life, but, but I, I look at them and I think, oh, that person must be a really good musician, they've got the look. And then you start to hear the story. And it's always, that, it's always that kind of same story, oh, you know, I didn't have any money growing up, or maybe I was homeless, maybe I, they were living in their car, I sold all my money to come to this audition, and I start to think, oh, this person must be a good musician, they've got the full story. 
And then, and then they like come in and they do the big reveal. And, oh, this person looks like a muso. And then it's always the ones, I don't know what it is, but they carry the guitar like, and it's hanging over their back. And I'm like, oh, you must be, you must be a legit musician. And then they start to explain to you why they are going to be America's next idol. And before they've even opened their mouth, I'm like, oh, give them the prize. Give them the contract. They are the American idol. We don't need to go any further. But, you know, we give them the audition just for the benefit of the doubt. And then without fail, it seems that they open their mouth. And this one thought goes through my mind. What were you thinking? How could you not know that you are this bad? Yeah, and, and let's be honest, like, like come on, come on, we, we, we all think it. Like, there are some people who look the part and they just suck on that show. Uh, in fact, it's, 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 it's the vast majority of people seeing as only one person wins. But I look, I look at that and I'm just thinking, how is it that you got to this point in your life where you had convinced yourself that you were going to be the next American Idol? Like, the, some of these people are not even going to be their own family idol, like, let alone the American idol. They are this bad. It's kind of like, how did you get to this point where you honestly convinced yourself that you were going to be the American idol? And the assumption underlying that, the reason that, that some of these people and, and some of us in our lives get to this point is because there's a difference between the way we live and what we believe. For example, some of these people really honestly, truly believe they're going to be the next American Idol. The problem is the way they live, their talent, is not going to get them there. And, and we, we, um, we have a word for this. In fact, if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, chances are you, you, you have used this word where there are people who live in a way that does not line up with what they say they believe. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, chances are the word that you have used to describe Christians is hypocrite. Perhaps at some point in your life or another, you have, you have observed some followers of Jesus and you have said to yourself, what they say does not match up with the way they live. They're hypocrites. And I own that, okay? As a pastor, as, as, as a Christian, as someone who's grown up in church my entire life, I own the fact that, and most of us here at Beyond would own the fact that there are followers of Jesus and there are times in our lives where we have been hypocrites. But all of us at some point in our lives have done some things where we have lived in a way that didn't line up with what we believe. In fact, if, if you've ever said the words, I'm sorry, you have, you have lived in a way that didn't match up with what you believe. If you've ever had to apologize to someone and say, yeah, look, that's my bad, you have recognized, and you are ahead of the game because you're really, really smart if you've ever said, I'm sorry, because you have recognized that the way you're living does not match up with what you believe. And you've recognized that and you said, hey, you know, look, I'm sorry about that, I apologize. And something that we, we know, and you know this and I know this, and this is not a Christian thing, this is just a thing thing, is that it does not, it's a thing thing, it's just an everyone thing, is that you do not become a hypocrite by doing something one time. You do not become a hypocrite by, by living in a way that doesn't line up with what you believe one time. You become a hypocrite when you constantly say one thing and you live another way. And so tonight, I want to address the question, how do we, as followers of Jesus, live what we believe? How do we live, not in a way that's perfect, because unless you're Jesus, you can't do that, but how do we live in a way that lines up with what we believe? 
And to step us into that, like, this is a tension that is, as, is not just a tension for us 21st century Christians. This is a tension that has existed since, uh, since the Jesus movement began. And tonight I want to step into uh, a book that was written actually by the brother of Jesus. If you want a unique insight into uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, there is no better place to go to than Jesus' own brother. Uh, and so Jesus' own brother, his name is James, and he's, he's really, really fascinating for me because he did not believe throughout Jesus' life, he did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was. James did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And I mean, let's be honest, if your brother or your sister said to you, I'm the Son of God, what would you say? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, of course you are, champion. <laughs> and so James did not believe this until Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to him. Now think about it. If one of your siblings was going to prove to you that they were sent by God to die for the sins of humanity, what would it take? Probably dying and then rising again and then, hi, I mean, maybe that might do it for you. And so James has this unique perspective and he writes this letter to this, to this community of Christians, these followers of Jesus who are wrestling with this tension and they're saying, how do we live in a way so it lines up with what we believe? James had heard that they were, they were saying a lot of things, but their lives, the way they lived wasn't matching up with it. And James, he starts in James 2, verse 14. It'll come up on the screen. He starts in this really unique way. Because if, if maybe you've grown up in church or, or maybe you've kind of been looking in and you've been observing the church, you kind of think Christians are always those ones who are like, here's all the list of reasons and here's all the things you're doing wrong and here's how to fix it and be right with God. But James doesn't start that way. James starts by asking a question. He actually asks two questions. But this is the first question James says. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith and don't show it? What good is it if you say that you have faith, but you don't show it? Now, this is not, um, this is not something that's just unique to faith, but you can, you can take this and you can apply it to any area of your life. What good uh, is, is it if you say that you're invested in your marriage, but don't show it? What good is it if you say that you're uh, invested in your relationships, in your friends, if you're invested in your studies, if you're invested in your job, but you don't show it? This is a great one. What, what good is it if you say you're invested in your New Year's resolutions, but you don't do them? This is a gr- like, it's, it's September. I mean, it's time to reevaluate next year's one. So what good is it if we say it, but we don't show it? And James knows the answer, and, and you and I know the answer to that. It's no good. It's no good if we, if we say it, but we don't show it. And so with that question fresh, that answer fresh in, in the audience's mind, James goes on, he asks them another question. He says, can that kind of faith save anyone? In other words, if you say all this stuff, but then you don't show it, what, what good is that? By your own definition, you've said it's no good. So can it really save anyone? And People, there was going to be pushback, there was going to be tension, like this entire message, there'll be pushback to it. I get that, just, just bear with me to the end. But, but James goes, here, let me, let me give you a real-world application of this to show you what I mean. And so he gives them this real-world application. He goes, suppose you see a brother or a sister, so someone you know, someone in your community that you're, you're uh, friendly with, that maybe you've got relationship with, uh, maybe they're just an acquaintance, but you know them. And this person has no food or no clothing, and you see that they're in need, you see that they're in help, and this is your response to them. You say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. 
then you don't give that person any food. What good does that do? You see this person, they're in need. You see that they're in need and you walk up and you go, oh, really, I really hope that, you know, someone feeds you. I really hope that someone puts some clothes on your back. I can tell that you're hungry. I can tell that you're cold. And that person's like, yeah, I am. And you go, well, have a good day then. I'll catch you later. (laughs) And James is trying to draw this idea out of us. And he goes on, and if you're a follower of Jesus, pay really close attention to, the, uh, to what James draws out of this issue, because you're going to like pause and be like, did he really say that? So James says this, he goes, after this example, after you can see what this kind of faith looks like when you show it but don't do anything about it, he says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Hang on, James, just James. Don't you mean faith by itself is all good? We, we're all good if we've got faith, right? No, James goes, no, no, no. Faith by itself isn't enough. And then he goes on, unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Whew, aren't you glad you came to church tonight? This is just so uplifting and inspiring, James' words. What James is saying here is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you you are saved by grace. There is nothing you have to do to earn your way to heaven. There is nothing you have to do to earn your way into God's good graces. In fact, the hallmark of the Jesus movement, the hallmark of Christianity that separates it from every other world religion is it is a religion that you do not have to do something to please God because God has already come to earth and hung on a cross to die for your sins. So James is saying your, salvation is free. It doesn't cost you anything but what he's because he's writing to a group of christians so these guys are already christians they're already going to church or but and james is saying but you're not saved by good works but you are saved for good works you're not saved by doing good works but you are saved for a purpose you're not saved just to sit around and do nothing you're saved for a purpose in other words in other words what james is trying to get these christians that he's writing this letter to to understand is if you have faith your life the way you live your life will point to the one you have faith in. If you say it, then your life should point towards the one you have faith in. And because James is writing this to Christians, he knows, like, he knows, like, you know, like I know, that the first thing that we do when we're kind of challenged is we kind of like, and and this is just like, uh, this is what we do as human beings. We always try to like find some way around it. Like, is there a loophole I can get out of you? And so James goes on, he addresses this, he goes, now some of you may argue, some people have faith, other people have good deeds. James, 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 you don't understand. I'm a faith person. My faith is personal. It's between me and God. Okay, I like to go into like, the closet and I like to shut the door and that's, that's just the way me and God do it. You know, there are some of those people, they're kind of a little bit crazy. They're always, on, they're always on about serving people. They're always on about loving people. They always seem to be just giving, giving their money to the church. They always seem to be uh, taking people out for dinner. They always just seem to be loving on people. They're over there. Okay, we're two separate groups of people. They're one group. Uh, we're one group. They're another group. I'm just going to stay over here. And James says to this, But how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? In other words, if someone comes up to you and and you think there's this faith, good deeds, there's two groups. If I come up to the faith group and I say, show me your faith, 
James is saying, what are you going to show me? If, if your faith is just consisting of, oh, I've just got to highlight all these passages in my Bible, or I've just got to listen to all the latest and greatest messages that, that are going on, I've just got to be in as many connect groups as possible. You know, I, I just gotta, you know, I just gotta be uh, serve on as many teams in, the, in a, maybe not serving, but I gotta, uh, I gotta write down a whole heap of journal entries. I just gotta write down a whole heap of journal entries. James is saying, what good is that going to do? Now, let me clarify. I am not saying don't highlight your Bible. I'll highlight my Bible. That's that's fine. I'm not saying don't get in a connect group. Like my wife and I run a connect group. We love our connect group. Okay, get in a connect group. Go to the connect desk at the back after the service. Get plugged in. I'm not saying don't write journal entries. I, I have a journal. I write journal entries all the time, okay? But James is not saying that. What he's saying is if someone comes to you and says, can you show me your faith, and all you've got is highlights in your Bible, that's not going to do any good for anyone. That's not going to actually show anyone anything. And then James says, but if you were to ask me how to show my faith, I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Now, this might, this might seem like James is being really, really forward. It's probably because he is. Because could you imagine if you were in James's position? Could you imagine if you had grown up with Jesus your entire life and you had been like, that guy is, is a loser. That guy is, is just, everything he says is crazy. And then, he, then you see it, like Jesus' progression, and he gets 12 people to follow him. John, John would have been, uh, James would have been like, those guys are even crazier than he is. They believe this guy. And then you see, or you hear about, because you're not there, you, you hear about your brother's crucifixion and him being hang, uh, hung on a cross and dying and bleeding for what he believed in. And then you see your mother come home. And you have to see how she deals with the death of her son. And you have to see the followers of Jesus support your mother and care for your mother. And then, then three days later, Jesus comes back from the grave and appears to you. How passionate do you think you would be about making sure people understood that faith and good works were not two separate things? James is forward because James goes, you know what? For half of my life, I did not believe that this guy was who he said he is and I missed an opportunity to learn from him. But now that I know who he is, now that I, now that I know that, that he's rigid now that I know that he came back from the grave, that everything was fulfilled, there is no way I'm going to pass up what it means to actually be a follower of Jesus. And James is writing this letter to followers of Jesus because he does not want us to miss that either. And then as he wraps up this part of the letter that he's writing, he addresses those of us who are like, yeah, but I'm I'm pretty smart. And maybe you've quoted some verses in your head or you you heard something one time that you don't actually have to do good deeds because, you know, it's all about faith or, you know, that, that you're just trying to work your way around it still. And James says this to those of us, because I would have been in that group not so long ago. He would have said, you say you have faith, for you believe there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Even Satan, even the demons believe that God exists, that there is a God. But they definitely don't show it in the way they live their lives. And then he wraps it up in this way. He says, just as the body is dead without breath, 
so also faith is dead without good works. He says to these followers of Jesus, if you thought faith and good works were on two ends of the spectrum, you've got it all wrong. He said they're part of the same package. In fact, you can't have faith without good works. Sure, you can have good works without faith, but you cannot have faith without good works. Because if at the center of your faith is a man who came and gave everything for you, it does not make sense that your faith would not produce something in you. And the reason that John is so upfront about it, sorry, James, the reason that James is so upfront about it, the reason that he's so abrupt and he says some things that, oh, you know, push us the wrong way is because he knows something that we often forget. And we know it, but we just kind of push it to the back of our minds. And James knows this. If you do not live what you believe, you will end up believing what you live. If you do not live what you believe, you'll end up believing what you live. Then you'll end up, like we were looking at at the start, the American Idol person. They believed so much that they were so good and they got to that point and they just weren't there. But they had told themselves over and over and over and over and over again, I'm the next American Idol, I'm the next American Idol, I'm the next American Idol. And they ended up believing that. And so they lived in that way, even though it was mismatched. So, what does that look like for us? What does that look like around you know, our dinner table? Or in, in the car trip home, or when we're going to work on the train in the morning, or when we're at school? What does it look like when we're walking across our university campuses? What's, what does that look like for us? The way, the way we like to say it here at Beyond is we like to say that we are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. Because we believe the church does not exist for us, but we are the church and we exist for the world. We like to say that in order to help us live what we believe, we like to always remind ourselves that the church was designed to contribute, not to consume. The church is not a building. If you've been here with us for any period of time, you hear us say that all the time. The church is not a building. The church is the people. And so as the church, we need to be contributors, not consumers, because we exist to, for the world. We exist to care for the world. And if maybe you're like, ah, drill down a bit further, be more specific, give me some kind of tangible application so I can be a contributor, not a consumer, then uh, we have this thing here at Beyond, it's called For Monday, because uh, we believe that there's no point coming to church on Sunday if it's not helpful, if it doesn't benefit you or change you in some way uh, for Monday and for the rest of your week. So this is uh, my For Monday for this week, and it's only for followers of Jesus. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can choose to do this if you want to. If not, uh, no obligation. But this is the For Monday. Uh, I want you to serve someone outside of your circle of influence. And I don't want you to just do it once. I want you to do it once a week for four weeks. One time. You don't even have to do it all every single day. Just one time a week, so one out of seven, for four weeks. Serve someone outside of your circle of influence. What do I mean by circle of influence? Someone that's not your family, someone that's not your friends. Someone that you actually have to, to take a step to serve. Maybe it is someone in your workplace, but you don't really know them that well. Or, or they're, they're helping and you wouldn't normally help them out. You wouldn't normally give them a hand. But, but for whatever reason, now this, in these next four weeks, you're just going to serve them for no other reason than you're a contributor, not a consumer. Maybe it's, it's someone in your, in your class, whether that be in university, at uni or whether you're at high school and, and they just annoy you so much. 
Maybe they don't contribute to the assignments or uh, when you're in a group assignment, maybe they're just always asking annoying questions. But, but maybe for, for one time, one out of those four times, it's an opportunity for you to serve them. Maybe for you on the bus, this, this is a good one for school kids, there's always that one person that sits by themselves. And you've just like, everyone else just walked past them and you didn't want to engage and you didn't want to love them and it was easier for you to sit by, uh, you know, sit with your friends. But maybe once, just for the 20-minute bus ride, you might sit next to them and show them that someone does care about them. Show them that they are valued. And maybe you're still pushing back. You're like, ah, I don't know, really? Could you just imagine... What would happen if everyone here served four people for the next four weeks? One person a week for four weeks. I did the maths. You know, if, if there's an average of 60 people here, that would be 240 people that we, have, we would have served. 240 people that the people in this room would have had the potential to serve. Could you imagine if you began to ingrain that as part of your life? where you just began to serve and you began to live what you believed. Over time, over time, just through serving one person a week, you would, you would be surprised that you started to serve two people a week and three people a week. And over time, being a contributor is just something that you do. And people would know that you're a follower of Jesus, not by what you say, but by how you live. Could you imagine... Could you imagine what it would be like if someone that, who had no, had no church experience had never heard, you know, never really been to a church, didn't really know much about Christianity, and they said, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian? Like, what does that word mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? And, and the person they were talking to said, you know what, I don't know what they believe, but I can point to how they live. I have no idea what they believe about Jesus. I have no idea what they believe about anything, but I can point to how they live because I have seen the way that they serve and the way that someone from that faith has cared for me. Chances are, chances are that some of you are here tonight and the reason that you walked through the doors of a church for the first time or the reason that you follow Jesus at all is not because of some deep, you know, theological, biblical message that someone gave you. It was because someone lived their life and it matched up with what they believed. And you started to ask questions. And because they lived their life in a way that, that was aligned with what they believe, you trusted them and you respected them. We have the opportunity to do that as well. We have an opportunity to be known as a church who live what we believe. But if we don't, this is true for all of us, we'll end up believing what we live. It is so much better to live what you believe. But you've got to have a plan. Start serving someone once a week for four weeks. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, it can be so easy at times to just be a consumer. It can be so easy at times to, to, to say the right words, but then it's often really, really hard to back it up in action. And I'm not saying this is an easy thing, but I'm saying if we want to live in a way that lines up with what we believe, we have to begin to make a plan. We need to begin to take some steps towards living what we believe. And they can just be such small steps. And over time, we'll have the opportunity to make a, an impact in our community that goes beyond us. 
Lord, we thank you so much for the words of James that have been preserved uh, throughout history. Lord, we thank you for the way that you, that you worked in James's life. All through those years growing up, I could only imagine what it would have been like to have Jesus as your brother. But Lord, when you rose from the grave and, and you appeared for him, we thank you that, um, for the way and for the words that he wrote. These words that can confront us and can inspire us and give us an insight into just why it's so important that the faith and good works are not separated, but they're put together. So Lord, help us to be a community that when people hear about beyond, they would say, you know what, I don't know what they believe, but I, I can point to how they live. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.